and happy holidays. Welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I am Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur, sharpening his teeth. My oh my, don't they look nice, Cam, which is strange because I would imagine they'd be full of Christmas joy and chocolates and, and turkey and everything right now, but uh, you're taking good care of those gnashes. That's right, that's right. I've got to ward off those chocolates, <laughs> so mm. I've got to be on the ball. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, as is tradition here at Spy Hearts, we come bearing gifts at this time of the year, and uh, I can't think of a better gift than this week's interview. Yes, we are here this week to talk to screenwriter Seth Lockhead, who wrote 2011's Hannah, a movie that you and I have a lot of time for. It was an early inductee onto the knocklist, as I recall. Yet yeah, one of the first films I think we got really passionate about. And it's one of those films I think doesn't get as much love as it should. So I'm glad we tracked Seth down. And this interview gives you the full story of how we got 2011's Hannah. So without further ado, let's open the present. Cam, roll the interview. And joining us now on the show, the writer of 2011's Hannah, Mr. Seth Lockhead. Hello, sir. How are you? Hi. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is uh, very exciting. I've never really done anything like this before. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we promise to uh, to not ruin everything for you. We'll, we'll okay, try great. and make it as smooth as possible. And, I hope you know, so. Well, I, I, hope, I hope so too. You're setting us up for failure. This could all go downhill from here. Like it's... I'm, I'm prepared for failure. I love it. I love oh, living great. in that. Yeah. We relish, we relish failure. It's, it's where we exist here on Spy Hearts. Yeah. No, um, I mean, we tackled Hannah over three years ago on the show. Yeah. And, and what we do on the show is try to find the best spy movies of all time to, to make a list. And we're making a list. We're checking it twice. Yeah. And Hannah was one of the early entries. And we stand by that film. And I personally think it's one of the best spy films of the last couple of decades, I would say. Thank you very much. That's awesome. I did listen to it. I listened to your guys. I listened to the review and I must say uh, I was very impressed and it made me very nostalgic and um, and made me appreciate it once again, having the, you know, the outside world kind of give feedback to it, especially two enthusiastic voices who who loved it so much. Um, <laughs> it was very, very cool. Well, I, I um, I'm probably just as nerdy about it now as I was then. So uh, strap yourselves in. Uh... <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but, I love uh, it. When we have guests on the show, I, I kind of like to build a picture before we get necessarily to like the nitty gritty of the film itself. So uh, the question I always like to start off with is what inspired you to get into your crafts? So what made you want to be a screenwriter? Um, well, I think that, you know, I think you, it was my early 20s and I was, uh, you know, I think I, I was kind of directionless, I guess, is the best way of putting it. I think I was like working at Starbucks and then I'd uh, uh, at some point I shift over and I, I started doing uh, blackjack dealing at night. So I'd stay up all night. And so, uh, and it was like uh, a weird time for me, but I always felt creative. I always felt like I wanted to be a writer and, um, and I, you know, I admired short story writers. I was very excited by, by short stories. <laughs> and of course there's no real, at least not one that I could have found at that time uh, a market for for short stories it's not a way to make a living so i was like well what is <laughs> the, the next best thing how can i write uh and pursue my dream um uh, pay the rent and, and make that the focus of my life and i'm like oh and movies of course you know so easy so easy it's just, just transition <laughs> over there. but yeah so then i just there was a the vancouver film school was was a 
a thing that was available. And, and I think I ended up getting a, a grant to go and, and uh, go to this, you know, this school. And, and that's what I did. I went to that school and uh, I always had the plan of, um, you know, I'm going to write something and, and, uh, and when I come out of, out of the school, I'm going to send it off to Hollywood and, and, you know, it's just going to get made right away. So, and that sort of happened. So that was kind of the weird, <laughs> the weird part of it. Uh, so it's like, I went, I wrote, I wrote Hannah there and then, um, and then I was able to, you know, string scripts together and build my career from there, uh, while also hopefully, in my in my mind, anyways, hold on to what, um, uh, why I, I was doing it, which is to make a living, but to make a living doing what I love, right? So always kind of privileging the love over um, the rent, <laughs> if you will. Um, so there you go. I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> no, it does. I also feel like that was a point in Vancouver too, where the film industry felt a little more accessible. Like I feel like growing yeah. up, not as much the case, but then in the two thousands, it felt like there was much more of a boom. It definitely felt like there was people, like they were making movies on the street. Like you could always, you know, I mean, there was definitely, I do remember like uh, on, in North Van, like the like X-Files was filming all over the place there and you could always hang out on set. And then when I was really, like quite young, it was. This is sort of influential on me, uh, although I don't think I saw it. Which is, they filmed The Fly Two at SFU, and I was uh, so Simon, uh, Simon Fraser University, which is one of the two big universities in British Columbia. And uh, but I was like five or six, and I just remember seeing the helicopters flying around this uh, university campus, and I was like, "Whoa, what's going on? What's this? Is amazing!" And so yeah, so you get that kind of like there is that bug, and then I would say also. You know, I'm like, oh, I love short stories, but I didn't love short stories until I was, you know, in like 18, 19 years old. Before that, it's movies, right? It's blockbuster. It's it's whatever I could get my hands on. It's whatever's playing on on television. And so my influence and, and always has been, you know, even on my short stories is like cinema. You know, it's the thing that that always brought me back to it. So but but when I when I was like, oh, I'm going to do this, like I really I didn't think about the industry here. You know what I mean? I didn't think about, I wasn't thinking very practically. Like I wasn't being very intelligent about my, my plan. My plan was like, no, it's just gonna, I'm just going to write a really good script and it'll get, you know, get my, get attention. And then I can go off and, and have this, you know, fairy tale career in Hollywood. So I don't know if there's a fairy tale aspect to it, but I would say that the inciting incident of my career is that, uh, uh, motivation, I guess, uh, which was very, you know, um, naive <laughs> is the best way of putting it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, you said it though. That it may have been naive, but you knocked it out of the park. You wrote the script and yeah. you got it sold, and and here we are talking about it. And I, my follow up question was going to be influences, and you kind of mentioned it, uh, but I'll I'll just I'll throw a spanner in the works there a little bit because we're talking about a spy movie that you wrote. Yeah. Was spy movie something you pay attention to growing up or was this more of just a evolution of the script? Yeah. I mean, I think they're very important to me. I think that this, this concept, so I, there was a couple things. So I'm it's going to get all mixed up, but you know, like watching like, uh, um, like the action movies of the eighties, like, you know what I mean? Like those were kind of huge. And then also trans like, so translating them or even like sometimes when you watch those movies, I was thinking about the other just the other day. I was actually thinking about this, and I don't know if it was like a direct influence, but I was thinking about Commando, you know, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and yeah. and then there's like so what what I was always looking for when I watched those movies was like 
like human moments you know what i mean like so it was like so so i think it's always like i don't know if it's just because of the way that i grew up but you you're always looking for to squeeze emotion or relationships out of these kind of you know out of Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger you know it's like like it's like what are, what what are you looking for in these kind of broad movies and you're looking for these moments of that you recognize right and and i think that those movies plus and then, and then as i got older then i start like i started watching uh, like Kurosawa and and then he that, so then it's like oh shit you have these cool action movies and then they're also loaded with all of this human stuff right and and so i was that then that was like a click it was like something that clicked over and then I would say uh, I was a movie usher in, and when I was like, you know, 1920 and Born came out, the Born Identity. And I watched it, I probably watched it, I don't know, 10 times. I got, got to go in for free. So I watched it like 10 times. And, and I was like, there's something, there was something about that movie specifically at that time where I was like, there is something extra going on that it wasn't just about bombast it wasn't just about death right or body count it was about a personal journey mm -hmm. through the and, and using that to access this personal journey that's the way i interpreted it and then i would say like although i, I feel i can't remember exactly the timeline on this you, you guys probably know this but then casino royale came out and then so then you're starting to see that right you're starting to see that kind of like more emotion and more um where you're leveraging the 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 human experience of this heightened world you know what i mean and so that's really what I keyed in on. And I was like, can you, can we do that for everything? Can we do, can we, can we couple these, you know, the, the, the excitement with the reality of what's really going on. Right. And, 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 um, and have the character go through that process uh, while still uh, doing things that are exciting. If anything, it actually makes them more exciting. And that would be my, my philosophy, I think which is can if you can bring humanity to the the bombast i think that that's that's kind of my my mo uh for writing well you're you're bang on the money because if you look at born identity and Casino royale both excellent examples of this but you go back to the 90s and you look at things like true lies or goldeneye right they're very much plot driven spy action films whereas you know eventually we go oh we actually would like to see a bit of characterization here right. and then matt damon knocks it out of the park and then bond goes oh i better do something similar and then they, they do casino royale both great films of course yeah yeah i agree and i think it was important it was an important turning point and uh and i definitely think it allowed it gave me permission mm. to to pursue it to pursue that uh that line um if you will um well both proved that it could be successful as well both were box office smashes so you're like oh i can do this and it's something that people want yeah i agree uh and i think it was interesting because early on you you there was this oh I, you, the other one i guess was a big influence on me as a kid was definitely like the luke besson movies right la femme mm -hmm. nikita and and i think i don't know if this was in the 90s or not but they had the tv show in canada and i don't know if that was a just a canadian tv show but they did like a la femme nikita tv show which i really really liked mm. so so it was worldwide and uh it was worldwide. yeah it was worldwide. okay uh and then um there was the oh and then there was the professional so the professional and like gary oldman and like so like the professional was that was the other thing. i think we we used to pitch it as you know hannah is the professional in reverse and i'm not exactly sure the math on that like why we said that but 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 i would say that like like 
the genre being so sweet and so deadly mm-hmm. <laughs> um there was something like his innocence like like that's the way i always read it i know there's been controversy since 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 then but i always read him as such a sweet innocent person and um then the contrasting that with his extreme s- skill set was was very you know it like i'll say this beautiful to me like i like like that's like i love that kind of stuff i love the contrast of of innocence with with this you know deadly skill which i guess is you can see is manifest in <laughs> in the script so uh in, in the movie hannah so um yeah so i'd say that would be another one that was very influential on me actually and um because it is i don't know i, I haven't watched it for a while but I feel like it is there is a its own rhythm, its specific rhythm. Does this does that count as a like do assassin movies count in your in your mandate for for Spy Hard? <laughs> that is an argument that rages on. Uh we do tackle <laughs> assassin and hitman movies and uh yeah. the listeners come down on either side of the argument. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. Um that's fantastic. Um, you so have you guys done that that or La Femme Nikita or Leon yeah. will be out in a few weeks so wow uh, yeah we've, we've we've got an interview with one of the people that made it as well like we've got a lot coming up with oh that wow so, i think it's actually gonna be our 150th episode on Leon. Mm-hmm. that's fantastic i really yeah. i mean I, I just listened to your uh mission impossible uh podcast which i love um i'm, I'm actually wearing I don't know i'm wearing my mission impossible watch this is from oh that, wow from the look at that yeah. i love it that's dedication. <laughs> That's right. Dedication. Well, it's it's you can't get you. Can, there's no like I think the Bond watch, like the one from that uh, Sean Connery wears. I think it's like I don't know, hundred hundred thousand dollars. This one was sixty bucks. So you know, <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. You gotta I gotta get my movie fandom in there somehow. But uh, yeah. But I really I really dug it. So I'm really now I'm really looking forward to that. I feel like you've you've definitely acquired a new fan of your podcast oh. uh, by reaching out to me. So I really appreciate it. So. Um, I'll take I'll take that. Someone who actually <laughs> wrote a very good spy movie likes our podcast. That's uh that's high that's genuine high praise. I actually mean that. Well, no, you you I and I even feel like so and then I I, I don't know when I started following on Twitter, but like within the last month or so, and uh and then you you've given me like like the Ipcris files, which I never heard of, which which I'm like, oh okay, what is this? And then I'm like, okay, I bought it, so then it's coming. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So it's like um there's, I just, I don't know. I just love, I love deep cuts. I love, and I love your guys's passion for, uh, for this genre. Um, uh, and uh, hey, I love movies, so you're gonna always find a fan with me. We can all agree to that. And uh, you have to let us know what you think about the Ipcris file because it, uh, it divides this podcast. Uh, but I'll, really? I'll let you get to that when you <laughs> get does. there. Okay, so okay. I'll, I'll save that. But I think I'm very excited. We're almost at the stage now, and you sort of told us how you got to that point, but we haven't really got to Hannah. Yeah, and so you went to film school, and you said your idea was to to write a script and go and sell it to Hollywood. But where did that sort of concept of Hannah itself come from? Um, there, so pretty like straightforward, which is they asked for like log lines or pitches. So and then so I I pitched two projects, and one was based off of like like I was gonna go two paths. I was either gonna be the action writer, or I was gonna be Woody Allen, right? So I like pitched a Woody Allen teen sex comedy. And I pitched Hannah and Hannah for me at the time, it started sort of like from a dream. Like it was like this image of a a little girl running through the trees, you know, passing these trees. And that's all I could really see. And I was like, why is she there? Why is this girl running 
through those trees. And so uh, I pitched both of them. I'm, I was horrible at pitching. I'm still horrible at pitching. <laughs> and, and, and then the, everyone voted on which one you should write. And they voted for the teen sex comedy. So, so, that, so I went and I started writing the teen sex comedy. And I'm like, this is not what I want to write. I want to write, I want to figure out where this little girl, uh, what she's doing out in the middle of the, the wilderness. And so I, I, I gave up on that. I think I, I still have that somewhere, I have like 70 pages and it's complete. That's the complete script. It was 70 pages. It's very, very sad. So that's technically my first script is this teen sex comedy, which is very bad. Uh, and then, um, and then I was like, okay, now I'm going to transition over to Hannah and, 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 and it was just simply to answer that question, why is she there? And so every step of the way, right? Like, so you start with, with, okay, she's there, she's hunting. All right. Oh, she's killed. She's killed something. Oh, wait a minute. Who's that behind her? And then, and it's like, oh, that's her dad. Or it, it's this, this, this parental figure. And, and is he trying to kill her? What's happening? So then, I, so I kind of like, it's like you, I kind of just meandered through this, this, this place drawing from my memory of good movies and my memory specifically of my travels I had when I was uh, 18, 19 years old. I, we tra I traveled through Europe for about five months and um, and drawing from those experiences and and also the underlying uh, experience, like my my memory of the feeling of what it was like to travel there. And so all of a sudden it became, you know, it became kind of this like almost like a travelogue <laughs> punctuated with with violence is <laughs> the best way of putting it and and so um I, and as we were doing this you know i was i was giving pages to uh, my mentor uh rick drew and and he was one of the, the teachers at vfs and he was just like like a cheerleader and he was supportive and he just said this is great this is so awesome just keep going keep going and um and then by the, you know, by the end of you know, a graduation, I think I'd gotten, you know, 60 or 70 pages into Hannah. And then I took the next three or four months after graduation to kind of finish it off and also start to like uh, search for, for the person to, to take it on. Right. Uh, who, who could help me um, access Hollywood? And I started to email um, <laughs> management companies anywhere I could find emails or, or, or contacts. I would. Uh, uh, query these places and see if they could would be interested in in reading the script. Um, so yeah, so I wrote it in film school. I finished it a couple months after film school, and then I was querying whoever would answer me for the next couple months after that. And then someone did answer me, and uh, it was two people. There was a direct -to video company, which I cannot remember the name of anymore, but the guy was very nice. He got on the phone with me. I think he pitched that he wanted me to to change it to a male lead instead of a female lead. Yeah. And then I was like, uh, no, I don't I don't think I want to do that. And then there was uh, this young guy at uh, Circle of Confusion, which was a management company in L.A. Um, and I think he was an assistant at that point. And he read it and he just loved it. And he pitched me to his bosses and he you know, became a manager. He became my manager. And from there through his through his team there uh, his name was Kemper Donovan and then uh, one of his mentors Ashley Burns ended up taking it to Europe of all places and um, handing it off to Focus UK where they optioned it 
Um, and I remember getting on the phone with the executive there, Teresa Maneo, and she uh, was uh, very uh, enthusiastic and interested in, in the project. Um, and I had to just like, they were very, so at the time, everything had to, like compartments, right? So it's like, is this an art house movie? Or is this an action movie? And I had to pitch, no, it's both. <laughs> so it's like, and, and I was like, it's both, it's both. And I was fairly uh, uh, aggressive with with pitching pitching that angle on it. And um, they did option it. And then I did a rewrite for them. And then, you know, years passed. And then the movie got made. Well, I was going to ask about that. Because when I watch yeah. the movie, it feels like it's taking a very unconventional approach to material people know well. Kind of the yeah. spy thriller, the hitman story. Did it feel like unconventional when you were putting it together or were you eyeing it more as a major commercial release? No, I would never, I, I never, I never thought of it as a commercial release. In fact, th there was another offer on the table with a more straightforward genre company. Mm. And I actually turned, and there was more, it was more money too. And I turned them down to go with focus because I felt that focus was putting out movies that spoke to me. And, um, and I thought that they would be, much more uh, diligent in keeping the tone and oddity of what it was. Um, I think like, and a lot of that was, some of it is by design. Some of it is my influences, right? Some of it is that I didn't know what I was doing, right? So, and some of those rough edges, and I still advocate this, I advocate this for any young writer. Some of the rough edges are what makes it special. And, mm. and, and, and that was kind of like, and I, and I would actually, def I would fight to keep that stuff in because sometimes it is more valuable and interesting to to have something great against expectations right so so if you're like oh i completely understand where she's coming from or i completely understand why H hannah takes this action well then then i think that that's not really my goal right my goal is to more to act, to, to inspire in the audience the question of or it, what what is your investment? What do you understand that she's doing instead of me providing that answer? I ask the question, the audience provides the answer. And I think that that's much more um, exciting way to interact with cinema, in my mm -hmm. opinion. So. Well, it's, it's more engaging, I would say, in that perspective. Like you're, you're asking the viewer to actually make up their own choice uh, and, yeah. and come yeah. to their own conclusions. The, the ending, for instance, which we'll get into at some point, yeah, is... <laughs> There's different endings that we could talk about. Like there's a lot yeah. of permutations of this, but looking at the the sort of story you just said about creating the script, selling it, take it to Hollywood, or take it to to, to Britain, technically speaking. Yeah. Um. Uh, see, there's a British connection here. So we're all connected. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's all good. Um. Well, I wrote some. I wrote some pages in in London. Like we, there was one point where Joe was in London, and they flew me from Berlin to London. So I did write some of Hannah in London. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> It's connected. <laughs> That's yes, right. We have a connection. Well, yeah, you mentioned that sort of, I think you said 60 or 70 page treatment before it got through focus and then you added some more to it or made some changes. Mm. What was that original version of the story looking like and, and what, and how was it maybe different to what we eventually got? Well, it was, so actually it was, I would say that like the first act has always been the first act basically. So mm. that's always been, it's always been pretty much the same. And then I definitely, I mean, there definitely, there was some, so there, I would always say uh, my argument is so there's different aspects, there's different corollaries, right? So there's different, there's always a family, but the family is a different 
makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she, the, the locations are different. Um, uh, mine was, uh, uh, I want to say, uh, I, Turkey played heavily into it. So it was a whole big section in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so that stuff was really interesting. And then I would say that there was certain things, I mean, they're still there, but maybe we, we put them off screen a little bit, which is, um, uh, Marissa's brutality. So she was quite brutal, um, in the original script. And I mean, she still is, but, but she was even more so, um, and yeah, like I mean, I'm, I might the, the the issue here is like I, I've probably I don't even I don't even know anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I can kind of vaguely remember that. I can kindly vaguely remember the thing I rewrote. I think I ended up there was like a set piece during, in Sardinia. That was that was one thing I rewrote add to it, added to the rewrite. And then I can then I can think about what it became with the other uh, with David Farr's draft Mm -hmm. and then um and then there was the work i did on set so um which was bringing back in a lot of elements that were uh that that had been like basically bringing back in a lot of the edge that that had been um taken away and and the the conventionality that was added to the script um um that in some ways there was lots of really cool things that that were added to the script and and uh, like the the false Marissa was a really nice, that was an addition that was, that came in with mm-hmm. uh, David Farr's work. And, and so I, I, and I love that. I think it's fantastic. And, and Miles was a character that didn't exist in the previous draft. It, actually the, the Sophie character or the, the equivalent was just, was just a younger girl because I always pictured Hannah as being quite, even if she was, you know, 15, 16 years old, she was quite young. Right. In in, yeah. in her experiences of life. But so, so aging Sophie up and then and then adding in miles and having still that kind of young, young child perspective, which which was that was interesting. So so that kind of came in as the draft as, as it developed. And then and then um, and then the kind of like the the stuff that. The, but it always kind of was the and I guess I guess I actually had there was quite like a serious set piece in the first draft with like, you know, Hannah being taken in and then basically going after Marissa, but but going through people to get to her. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like really crazy, like old boy level <laughs> of like, <laughs> like 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 just a really over the top um action set piece. Where is that? And then and then as the drafts went on, um that getting quieter, right? And that mm-hmm. being pulled back. Which was really nice, and then there there was stuff that came in because so I always I never originally conceived of it as like a soft sci-fi, right? Mm. I always thought of it as like social conditioning, like a BF Skinner, like a psychological study of mm-hmm. you know he always used to say if you give me a child from birth, I can raise them to be whatever I want to be. So that was kind of my concept, which is okay, what what is this? What is this? Uh, what is Eric doing? To Hannah what is he what is he doing to Hannah to create her and to make her this this thing that can you know go out into the world and and protect herself if you will and so uh so that was always my concept so as that developed then, then there was this kind of like this you know and I actually think and I don't I think this is less true now but there was always seemed to be this thing where people were like oh can she do this like can a 16 year old kid 
like without enhancement be be, be this way and i'm like well, why not <laughs> so I was, I was always like why not um but so i think that at some point they, they needed an answer to that as as some people do and um so they added in the enhancement stuff and so what the the draft that i read it was all about that it was all about explaining the science the science fiction stuff so then it goes back to you know it was like you know this underground facility and and all this kind of things that that were happening you know scientifically and, and i was like well let's get back to the let's get back to the crux of it what's what's hannah's experience what is she what's her mission what is her story right and and I, and so that was kind of like so it, it started out that way it kind of i started to begin to strip it back then we we got a version of it that was much cleaner and had the edges kind of taken away but there was a lot of cool elements that were added to it and then I, I'm, I came in and, and I'm like, well, what's, what, what are we trying to do here? Whose story is it, right? What's the title of the script? So uh, yeah, I, I think that kind of gives you the <laughs> evolution uh, of Hannah up until, um, and then of course there's the filming of it, which, and, and then the editing of it, which kind of obviously uh, changes it a lot as well, but. Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm glad you don't over explain Hannah's current, predicament situation condition yeah. as it were because like i think she says in line where it's like abnormal when she reads it from her blood sheet like there's hints about things but if you over explain stuff you, you take for instance you mentioned born identity like you hear about treadstone right program that in that that trained you know matt damon's jason born yeah. but you get it super explained to you in the born ultimatum and you're like i don't care about this stuff like this is yep. Boring, snoozy stuff, um, and and I I appreciate more the sort of ambiguity, really, because you don't know what she's capable of. She could be like, you know, she could be Superman, but she doesn't quite know it yet. She could be the, the destroyer of worlds. Who knows? So, That's yeah, right. I think it was a good choice. Good, I'm glad. I mean, I have I have this philosophy, and I feel like it's like I, or or Hitchcock said it, and then I just adopted it as my own, which is like it's the the point isn't the MacGuffin, right? Like it's not that's not the point. It's the excuse to tell the story, and at some point, at some point, we were like, "No, we got to explain the MacGuffin. We're going to spend ninety minutes explaining the MacGuffin." And it's like, "I'm not here for that. <laughs> I'm here to hang out with these cool characters and to and to expose myself to the emotional journey that they're going through." And at least that's how that's what I watch movies for. Uh, I don't watch it for the you know the MacGuffin. So uh, and and I think that uh, I, I was not interested in that, and and that's something that I even now like. Uh, I'm always like, I always like force myself to strip away any kind of explanation of that kind of stuff and focus on who, whose story is this and, and what is, what does it mean? What, what is the ending for them? Right. What is, what, what does it mean for them to, to get to the end? Um, mm -hmm. Not for us. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I'm curious, you know, Joe Wright comes on and ultimately directs the movie, but wasn't it being developed with other directors at a certain point, like Alfonso Cuaron? Yeah, I think so. Were you at all talking to these directors? No. You had no sense of kind of like where they were looking to maybe push the story? No, I wasn't. Um, I mean, I think I'd heard, I'd, I'd read one of the, I think I'd read the first draft of that Far wrote, and I think he was developing it with uh, Danny Boyle, or at some point Danny Boyle got involved. And then what I was hearing, and this is this is an interesting thing, actually. I think what I heard, or it was an interview or something like that, Danny Boyle was talking about being a parent, and which I always thought was an interesting take on it, because 
uh, again, it's not, it's, that's not, it's not the story. It's not about being a parent. Right? It's about being a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so I always thought that was interesting. Um, and so, yeah, no, that, other than that, other than just like hearing the grapevine and, and, you know, uh, yeah, it was a very, it was a very strange time because, you know, it's, it's, and it, it, it can be very cruel when you're starting out in, in this business. It's like, I believe I was, I believe as I was doing a rewrite, uh, David Farr was being hired. So I hadn't even finished my rewrite. So, <laughs> and so, and so the, 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 the transition there was, was interesting and, and heartbreaking, of course. Um, and, um, and so uh, there was a period of time where, where it was like, it was exciting because I love Danny Boyle and, and you hear that he's going to do it. And that's really, really cool. And, um, and I was really looking forward to him to, I, when I heard about it, I feel like uh, I was actually in India. I was in Mumbai and I, and he was, and they just released Some Dog Millionaire. And, um, and then, and I saw Some Dog Millionaire in Mumbai. And it was, so it was like this kind of weird, cool thing. Anyways, neither here, they're there, but, 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 but yeah, so you hear about it, you're excited. This is amazing. Then you get disappointed because, oh, he dropped out. And then you hear about Alfonso Cron. And this was happening. I'm not exactly sure how it was going, but I wonder if they were just working towards a green light. And um, and then Alfonso Cron's name popped up. Mm. And I don't, I don't know if he actually developed. I don't know if he did it, if there was a draft under him. And then, uh, and then Joe Wright was pretty quickly uh, involved after that. And then Sersha was announced uh, pretty quickly as well. And then, uh, and this, I think you guys were, you were trying to guess, uh, and from my, from the story I heard, she, she did bring Joe in on it, or she sent him the script. So that's a good, it's a good piece of uh, myth um, uh, that uh, seems to be true. <laughs> well, I'd love to know, you know, Joe Wright comes on, and I'd seen an interview with you where you talked about how a lot of the fairy tale elements were more under the surface right. whereas joe wanted to bring those more to the forefront i'd just like to know you know as you're working with him how sort of that affects the storytelling and the script well so i didn't know i would say i didn't even know how extreme he was going to go until i started seeing people like until i started seeing like the costumes or seeing the sets like like when we were talking about, we we're talking about like the emotion and, and, um, and it was never really like, it, like, because in, uh, at least, you know, flattery or whatever, self flattery, mm-hmm. which is, I think because I was creating, I like, I always, I always described it as I wanted to write a Grimm's fairy tale. I, w- I didn't want it to be based on a Grimm's fairy tale. So mm-hmm. I wanted it to be able to, you, you know, you open up a, your book of fairy tales and there's Hannah, right. And, and you can, and so that's the way I thought about it. So it's like, the direct references to it and like these like you know even like stuff like i think the uh kate's costume being green and like there's the green being connected to something there's something specific the woodsman right he's dressed like a woodsman it has this and then even um i think that uh sersha's uh wig was based off of a puppet i think it was like a little mermaid puppet that joe's family like his, I think his parents were puppet makers and they would, they would go on tour and do puppets. And, and, and that hair was on a little mermaid puppet puppet that, uh, that, that he worked on or that he, his family had worked on. And so, so, so you, st- and then, so then all of a sudden, you know, I'm in Berlin, it's three and a half weeks. We're talking about all of this stuff. And, but, and, and I'm seeing like figments, I'm seeing like stuff around, but I'm not necessarily connecting the dots until, 
you know, day one of shooting when, when, you know, Sersha comes on set and she's like in full, full garb. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. Like, this is like, like, it was not, it's, it's so funny. It's like, it's not what I had in my head, but it felt so right. Like it felt. Mm-hmm. And then, so, and so, and 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 so I would say like, we did not, um, we did not talk actively about it. It just was happening. So I'm sure he was talking to other people about it, you know, like, uh, uh, Sarah, the production designer and, um, and the costume. And like, I'm sure that he was, this was in their heads, but, but, uh, yeah, it, we didn't actively talk about it. That's, that's too, long story short. Uh, that's interesting. Cause I was watching a behind the scenes doc on the Blu-ray and sure Sharonin references though. I was told that I'm like the little mermaid. Right. And I didn't even think of the doll thing. I wouldn't have known that, but I was thinking more so of the switching the, or fl- flipping the switch moment. Yeah. Which to me, I really think of like Ariel and the little mermaid in the, I want to be where the people are, yeah. which Hannah, the same thing. It's like, yes, she is comfortable in her environment, but there's something bigger out there. Yeah. And that's, and that, so for me, that switch I added because they had a question of what initiate, like literally like the question was what initiates the onslaught, what initiates this transition. And I'm like, well, what if there was a, what if Eric, you know, hit a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, signal out in the, in the, in the middle of the forest. So it's like, I didn't, I was not clocking that. Joe clocked it. I think like Joe saw it. And then, and then, so through his, through his lens, um, for me, it just felt natural. It's like, okay, this is this is a good way of like, it's so simple, it makes sense, and it's so it's so clean because you get to see her choice, right? Um, and and it does fit my whatever my mo was, whatever my gut or my intuition was. And then Joe, and this is what I would say of like like the way I always think about like directors is that they're the ultimate readers, right? You're getting his read, and 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 he gets to manifest it visually um the way that 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 it spoke to him and i think that connecting like i didn't think of that until you just said it even though i just said she was based on the little mermaid puppet but that makes complete sense to me right Mm. um what you just said so i so he it it all aligns with like you know uh it's a very interesting thing because it's like and this is specifically you're tapping into like an, an existential thing that i'm going through right now which is as i've aged as a writer I'm becoming more and more conscious of my influences and to a, to my detriment. <laughs> so it's like, so you be, so it's like, it's like, it's, it's much more uh, beautiful and simple to be like, well, here's, I think, I always think of the button as a fairy tale element. Right. And, and, to, but just an element, not, not taken from anywhere. And so, so, but to have people connect to it, take their experiences and, and, and interpret that way. And then to add and to fill in the subtext, like, I think that's actually what the beauty of directing is. Like, it's like he added another layer that allowed people to access the story um, the way he felt it, but also the way that I was strangely telling it um, to inspire that feeling. So it's a, that's really cool. Good observation. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know much about the, the little Momo thing until Cam and I were talking about it before recording but the bit i took from what cam was saying and and what was obviously in the bonus features is more just that sort of because a big part of the story is the coming of age of of hannah and the sort of and it's part to do with the little mermaid and that sort of sort of sense of wonder at the world because there are moments where she's not worried about being chased down by tom hollander there's moments where she's just like sitting under the sheets with her friend or on a motorbike on a moped with a boy 
doing things that girls or boys should be doing at that age. Yep. Um, and I think that plays into it beautifully as well. But speaking of Saoirse, it was a question I had. You mentioned sort of her and that sort of chicken and the egg of Joe Wright, who came first. But when you were writing it, and you know it had been picked up, and I imagine you were thinking to yourself, "Who who should be playing Hannah? Who would I like to play Hannah?" And we have Saoirse, and Saoirse is, I mean, she's one of the best actors going in my book. Yeah. Um, but who did you envision in the role? I I, I didn't like I, that's like I would say the only person, and this is a fact, was that uh, that it was Kate. All I thought about was Kate for Marissa, hmm. and and like right from the beginning, probably because she was you know one of the best best to do it you know what i mean so it's like but for the other actors i was very like and I, this is still true which is i don't see them <laughs> i don't see the like and i don't know why i have this block this way and and like but but i don't and and i would say and i don't know if it's a a positive or a negative i can't decide yet but but with but but when and and this is true of Sersha and this is true of eric uh, which is that uh, and Tom, to be honest with you, Tom, Tom would be, we can talk about that a little bit, but, but uh, Isaacs as a character was written on set, right? So it was a very strange experience, which we can talk about later, but, but the Sersha and Eric kind of embodied the feeling of these characters, right? And that's what, I guess that's what I'm looking for. So I don't, you can't, I can't always like think about an actor and go, you know, like, like, do they feel this way? Like, 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 I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have thought about Eric feeling this way until I met him or thought about him in the context of, oh, he's interested in playing this role. And I'm like, whoa, that makes so much sense. <laughs> like, that, it's a per, it's perfectly aligned because um, he's very uh, warm and soulful. And then you have that, that contrasted with how harsh and brutal he is. So it's like he can, he can he can be harsh and brutal, but because he's so naturally, just a naturally a nice person, that you read that, and so it it becomes it complicates that character without me having to you know we have to like fill in the gaps right, and then and then like with Sersha, I feel I I mean I think this is true of a lot of her her younger roles anyways is that she's so open her face is so open and so like so innocent it's the same kind of concept which is like it's like to see her do brutal things um it's it's almost strangely tragic and and um whereas so i don't know if there was another person who could have done it that way um uh, like it had to specifically be this kind of and i think it's some and i and, you know i do actually think the way that she looked and the way that she like i think he even took out her eyebrows or they lightened her eyebrows as well yeah so it's like there was something about her that made her alien but also very human you know what i mean and um it was a cool trick and so 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 both of those characters like i didn't know until until they were in front of me and then with kate kate's just brilliant so it's like so i was just like i'm going to i'll just that will be my my focus is on this bad guy of, of if I was going to write one role for somebody, it would be for her. Um, and I mean, aspirationally, I had no idea that she, I didn't even know she was going to get cast when she got cast. So it was like, it was just, I was just like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> very weird. <laughs> very, very weird. Was the dental fixation in your script? No, I think that was actually, I felt like, so there was one point where Joe, it was like, I feel I can't remember the timeline on this, but I was called 
in at Christmas. I was like, like it was Christmas, like 2009, maybe. maybe that's what it was. And um, I was called and talked to Joe. And Joe said he was doing something with the script, but he wanted me to come in in January to Berlin to work on it. And I think he had done a pass where he added in these kind of strange details. Um, and uh, but the teeth were fantastic. Like it's so so nice. I love it. I love all that kind of creepy stuff. And it's like, that's really stuck with me. Like, and I mean, I was always this, like a big Cronenberg <laughs> guy, like, you know, uh, and, and I just love, uh, I love visceral, uh, creepy stuff and, and, uh, characters doing stuff that adds character characterization. So, uh, it was, it was really great. I mean, I, maybe I indulged in it a little bit once it was there, but, but, <laughs> But but Joe added that for sure. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Keeping the lights on at Spyhards HQ ain't cheap. And frankly, nor is feeding the school of attack piranhas. So we need your help. Roger that, Scott. Only at the Spyhards Patreon can you gain access to exclusive shows like Agents in the Field, which tackles non-spy films starring your favorite spy icons, and The Debrief where we channel our inner solitaires and predict how the big spy movie news of today will impact tomorrow. So make like a Treadstone agent and activate your Patreon membership at patreon.com slash spyhards today. Cam, tell the people what we have in our sites this week. Scott, in addition to the Christmas movie reviews on the Patreon, we're also going to release the year's final installment of The Debrief, where we're going to wrap up 2023 in style and perhaps even take a look at the John le Carre documentary, The Pigeon Tunnel. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy chinks. And I was curious with the character of Hannah, who's so internal. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about Shersha's performance and how much just comes through what she's able to bring to a scene wordlessly. What is that like on the page when you're writing the journey of that character and so much is just in her head? Yeah, I mean, this is my curse is that I always, I strip it back to its bare minimum. And I, and I hope that people can read between the lines. You know, it's all about, it really is all about subtext for me. It's all about what is going on underneath the surface. And that's why, uh, you know, I think it is such a, it's so important who is playing these roles and who is directing it, right? It's like, I think that it's like if someone doesn't understand that and wants to fill in the gaps or wants, you know, a guided tour of what's what all the cool stuff that's happening in this movie, well, then we're probably in a lot of trouble. Right. So mm. if who has who has the the balls to 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 put it on the screen and to allow um, an actor to do what's so brilliant and magical about acting, which is to to give us this complex inner life just by being on screen <laughs> and and so it's like so i think it's more it's like an act of faith really it's like it's like that that i'm going to find people who understand this and so on the page it reads straightforward and so and ideally if you're reading it you will feel it because you are invested it's the same way we were talking about earlier which is it's that it's the investment in ambiguity right it's the it's the investment in uh you're taking part of yourself and and trying to answer the questions. So it's a trick. It's a trick. Like it's a really hard trick to pull off. 
because especially it, in my business, which is all about answering, everyone wants answers. Like there's no way, like it's so difficult. And that's probably why the way the script developed, right? So it's like there, there had to be a draft where the answers were provided or it wouldn't get to where it, it got to. Um, people needed the answers. And then and then what you need to do when you have the answers, if, 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 if people don't have faith to, to, to green light it with a, on an ambiguous draft, that then you come back in and you strip it back down, right? And you strip it back to its, its essence. Um, because if you don't, then you're then you're gonna lose that audience investment, in my opinion. You're gonna lose the emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, I I don't. You, you sort of teased the Tom Hollander story, and <laughs> I don't want to let that go because uh, I love Tom Hollander, and I, I he's great. Find out anything about the guy? Because I'd love to have him on the show someday. He's on my list. Oh, I love him. He was he was fantastic. He was so fantastic. He was just like. So we, it was a very strange process um, because there it was fairly conventional henchmen, and I feel like there was always some kind of conventional henchman that existed throughout the everything. And so there was this Isaac's character with with, but then Joe introduced this concept of like the neo Nazi, the the whatever those guys are, right? Mm-hmm. And then we supposedly were going to get this guy, uh, Niels Arstrup, who was in. A movie called a prophet so a prophet was really popular at that time um like joe gave it to me to watch um it was fantastic it's like one, one of my favorite movies actually the it's a fantastic movie um and uh and neil arstrup is just fantastic but he's actually much more you he, he you know he feels like uh you know uh your typical you know gangland guy you know what i mean like a french uh mm. guy who who's who's you know he could do damage he could, he's a bad guy um, and then he dropped out because I think because we were going a little bit, we were starting to like play with it a little bit and going a little bit bigger. And I think that he dropped out because he started to get nervous that he couldn't play big. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's true or not. And then there was a list of guys that that we went through, um, like that we thought about. And then and and I, I don't know if Joe and him, Joe and Tom worked together uh, previously, but they knew each other really well. And so, uh, and so, so he's like, well, what do you think about this? And I'm like, that could be really cool. And we started to really like, to, to really fabricate like the, the, the velour track, track suits, the, the way he talked, the, the concept too, of that, obviously Tom and Eric are very different people, like physically. So it's like, so how, so if, 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 uh, Tom or Isaacs is going to function in this world. He's going to have to be pretty brutal. Like he's going to have to be, and you're, he's going to have to be scary w- outside of his physicality, more so with what he was willing to do. And so, like, it became, it was very fun actually because like, we, were, I would write these like, I don't know, three or four page emails about how horrible <laughs> Isaacs was so, as we were building this character. And and then and then Tom, yeah, he came in and he just fucking owned it, man. And he always vaguely, I don't, I don't know if, I don't think he's actually a method actor, but he was always vaguely Isaac. Like whenever he talked, like he talked to me and it was like just slightly unsettling. And, uh, and, <laughs> and then he would always, and he would do little cool things. He would add, he, he added lines. He was one of the few people who he, he, he improv lines and stuff like that, like run little piggy when he's driving down the car and all this kind of like, all this kind of fun stuff. And um, yeah. And he was just really good. And he, and him and, um, Kate really had good chemistry and it was like 
and it just they, they, it, I feel like a very they're very it's a very thinking back on it I'm just like they're a very unique group of bad guys that you believe 100% do awful things and they're and it's very easy for them and it makes them kind of kind of scary and it makes you worried that if Hannah uh, gets grabbed by them that something real bad's going to happen and and I, that was always kind of the the concept um yeah fantastic it was super fun i just can't shake uh, i can't shake the idea of him walking around set whistling now and just like <laughs> scaring the crap it, out that of everyone. was it was such a cool there was there was one scene where i think they were doing the interrogation and i don't know if we ever got a wide shot of it but they had the way that we had done it was like in a i think it was a warehouse and so they had lined up i think they were everybody everybody was in those um mm-hmm. what are they called shipping containers shipping containers thank you <laughs> and so and so he would just walk back and forth with his with his uh steel pipe and whistle and and i and so the other thing too is i didn't know that the chemical brothers were involved mm. but they were also they were involved at that point and then of course like joe's like oh come listen to this and i'm like what the fuck? what is this he says oh no this is for the movie i'm like what this is who is this and so he's like oh yeah they're my friends we used to do stuff like back in the day i used to like direct their like something in a club or something like that for them and i'm like wow this is crazy anyways so so you the whistle was was uh composed <laughs> it was so the chemical brothers provided it and and then they and then uh tom had to learn it and, and yeah he would just and i just re- very much remember him walking around with the pipe whistling on set and it was very intimidating and strange it was like uh all of it was very strange because like even the cabin like so like the cabin was probably this exposure like like you know when you that is one thing where i'm like okay this did come out of my head like this like it, that's uncanny and and um and that was very strange like so it's like and then that i was so close to that that moment like like i was so close to isaac so that was even mm-hmm. some of the stuff that was so fun was to see it to do it and then to see it be done like the next day right like there was the um the the scene where kate where eric attacks kate like I wrote, I wrote that, uh, I wrote that like three days before. So all we knew is that we had a hotel room, and so we, we wrote this like. And then I, I, there was one. I always remember that he's like, "What was it?" He's like, "Somebody was they were doing smoke," and he's like, "Oh no, this is too, this is too Tony Scott." <laughs> so we had to, we had to, we had to down, down, down <laughs> And so it was really neat to see all these talented people go here's some pages. And we're going to build out this action set piece, right? We, we in in that time frame. So I write those pages. We meet with a CIA uh, agent, like a like a consultant, um, with Kate, mm-hmm. and we're and and so and we're talking about. We debate whether or not she'd be scared in that scene, and it was like it was so and and so and that's a four day cycle of of building out this thing that becomes fairly aggressive and powerful in the middle of the movie um and and we're and we're and and you can see kate starting to build her character and then literally all these other craftspeople putting it together and you know the, the stunt people trying to figure out who's going to wear the you know the the green suit so when they pull the guy back from the door uh, when he gets shot in the face you know it's like it was just so um just so neat it's just so like it's like a it's like a this wonderful efficient circus uh and 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 all from like you know these li- these these lines on a page which is uh, insane so it was like this it, uh this inspiring thing where it's like um 
uh, I don't know how to describe it. So it's like, we'll go back to Tom, but, but like him coming in and then, and us building this character for him and, and his, what, he, I mean, I think he could probably, even if, even if we were a different character, he could have pulled it off. But, but I think specifically he relished how uh, he, he, he was just brave. Like he was brave and he went, he went with it. He knew where he trusted Joe and he just went, he went 100% in in the paint you know what i mean so <laughs> it was great well he's a interesting character in that he's like very ambiguous yeah. in some ways mm-hmm. very playful but also very scary and violent and the whole time i'm watching the movie i'm thinking like you guys beat skyfall <laughs> by a year like yeah. silva feels a lot interesting like this character oh that's a, I, 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 that's a very very interesting parallel i like that parallel i'll take it as a compliment mm. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Big time. Well, you know, one thing we kind of slightly grazed over was you getting that call back. You know, you said you'd sold the script, it'd gone off, you'd gone through some directors, but you weren't yeah. really involved at that point. It'd been handed off to another screenwriter. You, you've done your job. Wrote a script. You, you went to school, you wrote the script, That's right. and you sold it to Hollywood. Like, you, you, you tick, 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 tick. And you, you get a call. Joe Wright's directing. We want you to come back and do some rewrites on it. Like, that, that must have been... A bit of a shock to the system. Like a, a, a bit. A part of you thought you were sort of done with it. Um, I never thought I was done with it because I was so attached to it, and I always was looking for ways to get back, um, even if it was unrealistic, you know. And uh, like just dreaming. And so yeah, it was. It's so it was sort of this thing where it's like, I don't know. It felt it. It's it's silly to say, but it's it felt like it was the right thing to happen. So it's like. Like I'm like I knew I knew it as soon as as soon as I got the call I knew this was gonna happen I knew it and it was all gonna work out and it was you know and and so when that call came it was just and it was very intense and it was so fast like I was in Berlin within like two mm-hmm. weeks like of getting a phone call and then I was and then the the you know like at first they're like yeah just come hang out for three weeks and then why don't you stay another three weeks and then I was there three and a half months right and so it's like it's it was this weird this weird fairy tale <laughs> it was like this weird thing where it's like it, it's almost like it's the cliche it's like it's what people you know hope would happen with if they sold the script you know and even though i would say like obviously there's you know there's a lot of turmoil and there's a lot of motion and and there's like there is a whole aspect of business that that i will just ignore you know because that would definitely ruin the dream but but it, it the just the passion of 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 my of my belief in this project in this script and in what what i want like what i saw it could be and and how special i think it could be um i i had this feeling that that somebody else will find it and and we'll find each other and that's that's how i see it happening and it maybe it's you know from in the big picture objectively it was just you know some smart business decision or, or it's like some other decision that went into it and so um um, or they wanted a young writer to come on set for three months to, you know, give up whatever he was doing to come and, and hang out for three months and, and do rewrites. So it's like, but for me, I was like, oh yeah, this is faded. This is, this was meant to be. And, and, um, and Joe was, was, uh, the guy that was gonna, um, that was gonna do it. And, um, and it, it, it felt that way. It felt special. Like it felt, spe- the whole time felt special. And, um, being there was, you know, um, it was never, there was never extreme conflict. There was never, 
it was always very pleasant. There was exhaustion and there was things that happened, I think, like as uh, I, less so for me because my job was done sort of six weeks into the pre-production. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could see, you could just see as the as we were progressing, like people getting tired and and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, there was nothing from my experience where it was like, um, that, that, it, that, that people were losing the focus or lose or trying to do something that it wasn't, they weren't trying to make it something other than it was. So, um, yeah, it was really cool. It was really intense and it definitely, it, it was, it changed my life in positive ways. I'd say like, that's the best way of putting it. It's it, it, it made me think about movies in a different way. It made me see, mm-hmm. uh, uh, how special, I mean, I always believed it, but really, truly like how talented people are and how much, what, what the, so I have this belief, okay, I want to write a script. There's, this is going to inspire people. This is my, my philosophy. This will inspire people to do their best work. And, and, and that's kind of what I, I, I saw happening. People were inspired to be creative and, and to exploit their talents in the belief that this, that we were doing something special. Um, so yeah, it was cool. <laughs> Long story short. Along the way, was there any scene or element of the script that was like the toughest obstacle to overcome? Like the biggest challenge you found? Um, not off the top of my head. Like, because, because we were, it felt we were, it felt very creative. Hmm. Right. So, so, so there was things that happened before like in development Mm -hmm. that where I actively disagreed with executives on where they wanted to go with it. That was challenging. But and so my feeling is that because they weren't thinking about the script or what its intent was, they were, they were thinking arbitrarily about other issues. Like, Like the best, like, so, you know, without like, getting too specific but when when, I, when somebody when an exec says let's try to make it a male character well they're thinking about something other than the script right and so um um that happened and then what was happening on set it just felt very creative i don't know if i, I was probably somewhat protected from there was definitely issues around the ending and around violence and they wanted you know multiple versions of it or whatever and and so there was definitely some debate around that. Um, but there was nothing that for me, I mean, I suppose there was one of the, the debates we had was, was around the fighting, Eric's fighting. So this happened in post-production. So Eric, Eric fighting with Isaacs at the end, right? Mm-hmm. So there was some, there was, there was, the way it was filmed was quite, um, it was very wide and it was not brutal. It was very like uh, poetic. And, and, um, and so th- there was some debate around that where, where we, it's like on the page, it's like, he's extremely wounded. He's, he, he's bleeding out. He's, he's, he is going to die. So when Kate kills him, it's like, you could, you could make an argument that there's no way, there's no chance for him anyways. He's already dead. And so, but what, but, but, but there was certain things that were happening in the, in the, um, the way that they conceived the, the set piece where it wasn't as brutal, right? It wasn't as, he, he wasn't as damaged. Hmm. And, and I think that that became a point of, 
it's not conflict that's not the right word but it it felt it felt that we were we, we kind of like maybe needed to do a little bit more work to make it feel and, and we ended up doing it and and um just through editing so it's like so it became more brutal it still kind of leads to that same conclusion um and and so yeah that was probably the toughest part like the, the battle that we had um but but outside of that everything else was quite smooth and there was no real like philosophical uh disagreements because well, and I mean, that's the other thing that happens in production is like, sometimes it's just reality. Like there was a point where there was going to be a rave scene. It was going to be, that was just going to be a big rave scene. And it's like, well, we don't have the money anymore to do that. So we turned it into the gypsy camp, right? Like, mm -hmm. so it was the, and so uh, that's, and that was just, and then, so, so I, Joe, actually I was, I was writing, we were flying back from London and we wrote that scene on the plane. Mm -hmm. Joe and I were sitting across from each other. And, and so the and that was cool and it was neat and it and it and it still did the same thing right and a lot of the times like so there was certain things that proceeded so i don't know who who put them in or what but there was certain things like like, like where Han, where hannah actually kisses the boy right well we ch we changed that because we're like well, that doesn't feel natural doesn't feel like her character it doesn't feel like she would mm -hmm. do that um and so and then and then just how the 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 relationship developed between uh hannah and sophie and that that like the weird effect that they had on each other, that, that how in a weird way, Sophie becomes more human the more she spends time with Hannah. And so does Hannah. She becomes more human the more time she spends with Sophie. And, and, and so there was this like impact. And, and so there's just those really neat things, these, these things that, that came out as we pushed on it. Um, so yeah, no, I, at the end of the day, I would say, I can't think of anything fundamental that we were, you know, like <laughs> I think one of them was, one one thing I always and I still think about it, it was it, it, there's a point where uh, Kate something she's Kate's just realized something and then she's standing in a hallway and she goes fuck all right she just says fuck and and mm. it's in the, I think that's I think that's what's that's what's in the movie but my 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 draft is like no I, no it's nothing you just walk, you just see her <laughs> so that's that's an example of like there's there's a moment where it's like. You know, that, that's that was one of the debates we had. Should she say fuck or should she not say fuck? <laughs> it's very silly, I know, but <laughs> right. Well, that that's that's the sounds like the editing process for a lot of films we've we've tackled over the years and people we've spoken to. So that sounds bang on track. And you mentioned Eric's death and and sort of maybe it being different and it being played out like he was mortally wounded and it was more like a yeah maybe. putting him out of his misery. But I I feel like in a way that that would like mirror. Yeah, what Hannah was doing on both ends of the film, it would be too similar to that. So maybe him it being it more of a cold-blooded kill that Kate does. It should, well, no, it should definitely, it should definitely. I, the, I always Kate was is always cold-blooded, but I think that what I was looking for from it is like is the ambiguity, right? Mm. And I think that because I'm because there was even scenes we ended up cutting them, um, but there was scenes where she was more tender with Hannah. Like they actually have much more direct interaction, right? And we cut that, and I think that was the right decision. Um, and because, but well, ideally, because there is the ambiguity exists in her, even if she's slightly tilted towards the dark side. And I, but I agree with you. I think that I would much prefer you guys walk away and think of her as 
dangerous and a monster and not trustworthy than then mm-hmm. then yeah no no that, that wouldn't be my intent my intent was more about how the the just the desperation and and brutality uh and the danger that that isaac's posed um despite despite you know eric being this very you know elite soldier kind of thing so was, that was kind of my idea mm-hmm. but anyways yeah no i agree with you i agree with you no well, I- well, speaking of sort of the editing process, post-production, sort of wrapping up the making of the film, one thing we mentioned earlier on was the ending, mm-hmm. plural, because there's there's the ending that was played in theatres, it's on a lot of the home releases, and then there's a bonus, yeah. different ending, extended ending, um, on some of the Blu-ray features. Uh, and was there a discussion with that as well? What what sort of happened with the ending? Um, so, I, I don't know if it was actually... Uh, so... We always want, like, they definitely wanted some kind of happy ending, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it was a happy ending, but her returning, that was kind of, is that on the Blu-ray? Yeah. Is that what you see? Her okay. going back to so live she, with the wolves she and go, stuff. Yeah, she goes back to the cabin. Um, yeah, so we wrote that. We thought it would be really sweet. Like, we thought it would be, like, because she doesn't really get a lot of cl- closure, which is probably pretty interesting actually now that i think about it but like she doesn't get a lot of she doesn't see eric die so it's like it's like uh or at least you know i think we tried to make it work but it didn't work out that way and and so it's like she still loves him it's he's he's her father right Mm -hmm. and so we with we like we love the idea of her returning and you know i think we like wrapping herself in his coat and i can't remember if that was us like if that was if like I mm-hmm. I know for a fact that we all felt really bad for Hannah even at like like all the way through the end and so we're like what can we do to make make it a little bit nice a little bit warm and comforting so we're literally like, oh that's wrapper in a coat like <laughs> let's wrap her in this you know and so and so and I think that I'm not sure that it existed in I, when I finally saw it I went I went to London I watched it with the the Chemical Brothers that was my my first screening of it. And um, there was stuff that was in it towards the end that definitely got cut after that, after we had our discussion. I can't remember if that was one of the scenes. The, the, the scene with Kate being with Hannah and being more inhumane and, and being, you know, arguably uh, warmer to her, that got cut. And that, was in the, and that was in that one because it just ended up, you end up losing the momentum a little bit of, Sure, and and I don't think at that point it's the same concept, which is which is you, at that point you don't want Kate to be too humanized, right, or Marissa to be too too humanized. So it's like, uh, especially with what's coming. So, um, so that got cut, and then and I would say that we got rid of that ending because it's just much more. It's it was, I feel like it was from an earlier draft, which is I bookended it, right? I just missed your heart. There was I just missed your heart mm-hmm. with the deer, and then there was yeah. I just that was always there. So that was the original, like th- those two things. And I, and mm. from, I have to, I'd, I'd have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure that it ended like that in the first script and where it just ends on her getting shot. So we, through, you know, through our discussions was like, well, how can we like, it maybe, maybe it was even to satisfy uh, some, some note by the studio. Sure. Uh, how, uh, but, and then, and then we, and then we did what we did. And, and I think that that, it wor- it it works for me. It speaks to me. It, it makes sense to me. Um, so yeah. So that was that would be. I don't know if that answered your question. 
<laughs> but yeah. No, no, you got it. You got it bang on. And I mean, the last question I sort of had about Hannah, I'll, I'll throw it to Cam afterwards yeah. in case he has anything else. Um, but you know, looking at, we were sort of trying to tell it in sort of a linear story of how this all happened. And now that's, you've seen it in post-production. It's out yeah. in the world. Now people are seeing the film. It, it did well. Um, it still gets talked about now. I think more yeah. people should be talking about it. Just for you though, looking back on the process of, of making Hannah, are, are you happy with the finished product, with the film itself? And, and what are your thoughts on the process of making it? Yeah, I'm very, I'm very happy with it. It's very special to me. Um, it's special to me for a lot of reasons and probably a lot of reasons that no one else would, would find it special because I can go, Hey, I, I was sitting just over there off the off screen (laughs) and, and, um, and the people and and meeting them. And, and, and like I said, like, well, like, look, I mean, like, let's get, let's get a little, uh, psychoanalysis, right? Like, so if, if Hannah is some kind of like avatar for, for me, Mm -hmm. right. Uh, which she was, right. She became this, she's an example of of how I felt about the world when I was uh, a teenager and, and going out into it and, and experiencing it for the first time, G- having this opportunity, having this thing happen, you know, like to go and be a part of a community, you know, it's this fabricated circus like environment, but it was a community it was really special because I got to, I got to meet a lot of very cool people who, and we all believed in the same thing. And, and um, so I'm always going to have a beautiful soft spot for, that story and um and 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 what it allowed and and the people it allowed me to meet so um yeah i can't i can't fault it i can't i I can't in my experience with it being able to come back and to to find and make sure that uh what 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 i originally uh believed this why this story needed to be told and, and to be able to you know, articulate that to people making it, um, including myself, <laughs> um, was a really neat opportunity. So I, I feel very satisfied with 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 how it turned out and and that I was able to not only inspire those people, but those people were able to inspire me. And ha- and I always I always remember that. So it's 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 a it's a document. It's like a diary. <laughs> it's a diary of memories. And um, and so uh yeah it's i mean and it's a different viewing experience for me so i can't objectively say oh this is this belongs on the knock list you know i I don't know if i can objectively say that oh but but uh you guys (laughs) did so which i will take that as a huge compliment (laughs) the fact that you just said knock list warmed (laughs) my heart anyway just to have it acknowledged (laughs) is is just nice anyway that's uh good that's that's a tick for me i'll take that well i was curious you know you talk about just like what a personal film it is for you. And I'm just curious, you know, with your yeah. travels you had, is there any moments in there throughout Hannah that really like jump out to you that like only I would get this, but this was a moment during my European travels that I brought to the screen. Hmm, this is interesting. Um, I would say that it's more the feeling. Mm-hmm. So, so the, I, okay. It's the fear, right? Mm. So she, and then also the joy. So it's like, she's scared, right? You could argue she's maybe scared the whole time. And even though she has these skills, but, and it's the things that she's scared of aren't the things that maybe you and, you and I would be scared of, like hanging out with a family. <laughs> so, or, or going on a mm. thing. And, but then she goes, Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to go, I'm going to go on this adventure with, with, with Sophie. And we're going to go and, and, and we're going to go with these boys and we're going to go do this thing. And it's like, so, that that concept of 
of being scared and then going out on the adventure anyways like that would be that would be that is that was traveling for me it was you know kind of like this like kind of suburban existence and then and then i'm like you know i'm just gonna go traveling i'm gonna gonna go see what that feels like and it's and it's scary it's so scary and you're and i was by myself at least for the first week or or two and then you know and then i found my 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 friends and and we were able to like travel together and hang out and and we're and and get ourselves into trouble and and um and then the the one big thing that happened to me when i was traveling and the court so the court it's it's not a direct corollary but but it does feel that way sometimes is like the traveling by yourself being exposed to strangers right who you're not sure if they're wonderful or if they're dangerous even if they're doing something that is arguably feels intimidating like so there was an instance when i was stuck in uh a budapest and i was stuck in a, a the train station it was like three o'clock in the morning and uh a man walked up to me and i was wearing oakley sunglasses and he took my oakley sunglasses off my face he went and bought a beer and then came sat down and drank his beer with me right there and it was like this weird thing where he's like okay you, you just you stole my sunglasses <laughs> you're drinking a beer with me. <laughs> you're kind of my buddy and i'm all by myself and I'm, you know what i'm gonna be your buddy but let's just hang out and, and i don't mind that you just stole my sunglasses so it's like this weird like like all that unsure like the the lack of uh the unknowns of of what is and what is not a threat right i think that, that is mm-hmm. what i would tie to like like that's the thing i connect to and then also like and at the end of the day like am i happy that i pushed the button right am i that i went out into the world and uh and i think that's probably that's still a question that needs to be answered i don't know <laughs> so it's like uh and i think that's a question that hannah is still asking herself right so uh it's it's interesting I don't know. That's a really that's a good question. Very, I like that question a lot. It's a tough one. Well, you know we love this film, and I'm glad we got to talk about it. I did have a couple of follow ups. Okay. I think Cam had one as well about sort of the the life of Hannah mm. after the film, and that is the Hannah TV show. Yeah. Well. Okay. Which I I I, I note the credits on that, and it's interesting to read. So, just what's your experience with that? Uh, it's it's non-existent. Um. Yeah. So it's uh uh I was not involved. I feel like it was like a rights thing. So there was a uh, producers that were involved mm. before so my producer, the one I worked with on set was Leslie Holleran and then there were some producers before that I think I just randomly met. They had read the script and somehow because they had read the script, they ended up being attached to it and they got involved. Right. And so and at some point in the in the lifespan of a whatever the contract wherever they have the rights tv rights reverted to them and so then they went and took that and made the tv show so uh i i had no involvement other than you know writing the script the original the film so uh yeah have you guys watched it i haven't no i don't want i i haven't i i i interestingly just didn't i've never felt that compelled to for like long-form tv shows yeah, when it comes to spy stories i i feel like film is the best medium when it comes to spy stories a lot of the time um much as i love this character you think i want to watch more of it but um interesting knowing that you weren't connected as well maybe that's part of the sort of feeling i have (laughs) inside not to watch it i i uh 
the the man who brought it to the world hasn't uh, hasn't been on board. But like, so have you have you watched it? I think is a more interesting question. No, no, I have. I mean, it's so funny. It's like it's so it's so full of it's brimming with all these uh, t- very talented people. It's uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I think I'm I'm of the same opinion. Like, if I can detach myself from it, which is I'm not sure that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd want to watch a, a, that type of story in long form. So I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever watch it, but. I've, I definitely avoided it probably probably for you know just because it's like it that's hard that's hard it's hard but yeah yeah mm-hmm. and I was curious on like any status updates you had on like Shadow of the Colossus or anything else you're working on and I guess now the um strike has been settled yeah uh no like I, so Shadow of the Colossus is I don't know what what's happening with that that's been um it's been quiet for a very long time um and then yeah my my other projects i am i'm currently on my cronenberg i'm in my cronenberg phase of life so i'm writing a lot of uh, weird horror uh right now nice and uh yeah so there's like there's little things that are percolating i, I did a um an adaptation of a robert silverberg short story called hospital station um which uh, i'm very excited about uh and i hope it goes somewhere and we'll see um and yeah and, and then it's just it's kind of these original stories that are, are pop up everyone's like so i have like a, you know i have a handful of uh, i have another female spy story called governess um mm. that uh that could you know maybe go somewhere but that's also it, it, every couple of, it's been it's governess has existed since 2010 so every couple of years wow somebody gets interested in it and it's and then so it's like you know and um, it's it's just the life of of a, of a script where it's like every once in a while something interesting happens, you know. Um, yeah, so that would be that would be my. I feel like uh, my spy my my spy stories. I have a couple of them, but I must say that I, that in recent in recent history, I've gone I've gone uh, full horror. Sign me up for that too. <laughs> Which would yeah. Maybe I need to maybe I need to go back. I mean need need to go back. I I, I would definitely say after listening to you guys, I'm like oh. I should uh, dust off some of those those concepts that I have sitting in my drawer, but yeah, I love I love hearing it. See, see, I feel once you watch the Ipcris file, that might give you some inspiration. That's uh... okay. Give me some inspiration. Fantastic, I love it. And if you want to write in like two really inept uh, British and Canadian spy that get blown up or something in the background, uh, name Cam and Scott. I yeah, I will do it. I will name. <laughs> I will. I will name my next. Uh, the two characters, the main characters, will be named Cam and Scott. I promise. Oh no, no, no! We need to be like background guys that are doing the <laughs> okay, IT or okay. something. We, do, <laughs> we don't happen. deserve to be front yeah. and center. I promise. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We're the guys in the van. <laughs> um. Well, I I think yeah. the last thing to ask you, said uh, I mean the, the last thing to really yeah. dig down into, um, and the final question that we ask every guest on the show. Yeah. Seth Lockhead, what is your favorite spy movie of all time? Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite spy movie all the time, but I was on a uh, an Oliver Reed kick. Okay. And and I watched uh, Assassination Bureau. Mm. Have you guys seen this? Uh, with um, Diana Riggs. No. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was that. And uh, uh, is it Telly Telly Savalas? Telly Yeah. There's someone else yeah. as well that's got some spy connections. But yeah, weird film. Yeah, it's very weird. Yeah, but there's two things why I loved it. Well, I actually watched it in parallel with 
with with oh my gosh, and I'm totally blanking. What's the what's the Bond movie where it's the only the one with Diana Riggs? What's no, oh, Iron Majesty's <laughs> Secret Service. Yeah, okay, okay. So I watched them in connection with each other. So I was like, because what I'd heard was that Oliver Reed was supposed to be Bond in, in that movie, and there was like some kind of weird thing that happened. So he did Assassin's Creed. So it's not a great movie, but 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 uh, I love Oliver Reed and I love Diana Riggs, and um and I thought. You guys have to watch it and, and and do an analysis on this. That it was the inspiration, and I can't find anything online about this for Kingsman. So that's that is that's my my thesis. I need you guys to figure out if I'm right. Okay. And uh, <laughs> um, so I don't know why I thought that. I'll have to rewatch it and tell you guys. But yeah, so that I thought that was a good deep cut for you guys. Pretty pretty. It's it's a B movie. Let's be honest. But but. Uh, it's it's on our master list to tackle. At least yeah. I've, I've told Cam to put it on anyway, so I, hopefully yeah. it is on there. It's there. Um, <laughs> it's 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 there, right? So Cam has Cam has put it on the master list. So we'll maybe I'll bump it up the list to tackle sooner rather than later because yeah. it's been getting a lot of play on TV here recently as well, actually. Um, so that would be interesting one to take a look. At. But yeah, it's it's a it's an odd film. But I've never Very tried odd. the course between it and Kingsman. I'll have a look at that. Yeah, I want. I, I don't know why I thought that, but but now I want you to. I want to see if I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll get to the bottom of it. Don't worry. Um, but it's it's interesting because you're the first person to mention that film on the podcast. So uh, awesome. Yeah, uh, it. I like to track people who give the same answer when we do interviews. So yeah, there's a lot of yeah. like a lot of like, oh, Honor Majesties is one that gets brought up a lot, or and things like or like Spy Game stuff like that. And that was great, by the way. Like, like uh, that Wonderful. was like you know you get missed. It's there's a good example actually of like of here's a great human. Well, maybe not the Bond so much, but Diana Riggs is so fucking great, man. And it's like, and you get, and I got a little misty at the end, man. I got like, and I'm like. That's a good action mm -hmm. movie right there. You, you care so much about them. So it's like, mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, so that's a good one. And I only seen that. I, I just watched that uh, last year, I feel. I, uh, I was watching all the, going all through the deep cuts. And then like, uh, what was the one that I really liked? The Bond where he's in Japan. Oh, well, you only really know twice. That one. Yeah, I really liked that one. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's. I, I'm a big fan of that one. I love yeah. that you in it twice. I just like being in Japan. I think the vibe. It is was great. so cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so and yeah, so all the Sean Connerys were great, and then, mm. um, but yeah, so it's like no Bond, of course, like Bond's really and and when you're a kid, you watch all the Bonds mm -hmm. on TV. They're always on TV, <laughs> so, so it must have deeply embedded in my DNA for sure. Uh, I always think about them probably too much when I'm writing um uh, and always trying to deconstruct them but anyways yeah so assassination bro yeah it's pretty it's pretty fun uh, well I'll, I'll give you a little bit of oliver reed spy homework if you'd like it an additional okay. film uh that will, that will make you laugh or cry one of the two <laughs> uh, and that is condor man from the 1980s condor man. disney spy superhero film i love it i've never heard of it Write it, down, it and, down and enjoy yeah. your afternoon with Condor Man with uh, Barbara Barbara Carrera, Mike uh, Michael Crawford, and <laughs> Oliver Reed. I love it. Uh, yeah, and then Condor report Man. drop us a line afterwards and tell us what you think of Condor <laughs> Man. It's a very different film to Hannah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right. Um, but I'm excited. I, can, I I'm excited to hear what you think of it because it's one of my favorite films, but for not for the right reasons. Uh, not for the right reasons. <laughs> not for the right reasons. But Seth, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show. Finally, I'm glad we could get to the bottom of Hannah. You both know we love it. Thank you for the film and thank you for taking the time to speak with us. 
thank you for having me. I, I'm a big fan of yours, guys, and uh, I continue what you're doing. And and I will always uh, search, seek out uh, your recommendations, 100%. Definitely, and thank you so much. Uh, thank you, guys. And we're back, folks. I want to thank Seth once again for taking the time to speak with us. I loved Hannah going into this interview, and somehow I love it even more. Yeah, no kidding. And what I thought was really interesting about this story, about the you know the writing and the making of Hannah, you and I have talked to a number of writers who, for their first film, came up with a passion project mm-hmm. where they wrote the draft, and then they were replaced by another writer who came in and basically took the movie to the finish line, and then it was shot. Yep. It happens time and time again. But I was so interested to hear and encouraged to hear that you know Seth had the opportunity to, although Hannah did go through a rewrite process with a different writer, he was able to come back and see it to fruition. A lot like Michael Frost Beckner, who wrote Spy Game, and also had a rewrite process, but they ultimately realized it was more his vision, and he was the guy who was able to kind of see that movie to the you know also to the finish line and and more to your point uh, our our christmas present last year was our interview with jd zyke who who initially wrote ronin the wonderful 90s uh spy film uh but that was rewritten and he was kind of frozen out of that process too so it was nice to see that uh that yes that's sort of brought back into the fold and helped usher it to fruition so yeah i i'm glad for seth and i'm glad the story had a happy ending which most fairy tales often do Scott, you didn't continue my football analogies, as I am so wont to do, given my history of uh, competitive football. Well, it is the time of year. It's you know a lot of football <laughs> on television, I imagine, in North America. There's, there's some here, I, I guess. I never watch it. I wouldn't know. I honestly don't have a clue. I don't think so. Not this time of year. You're not out there playing with your, your pig skins? Well, maybe. Maybe. After we finish this recording. Mm, perhaps so. Perhaps so. But yeah, let's talk about a little bit about our chat with Seth. I mean, I was fascinated to hear like just the genesis of the story and his his sort of process of putting it together going through film school and having that, that goal of getting a making a script and selling it and making a film which he inevitably did although i, I would like to hear a little bit more about this uh, teen comedy that he wrote <laughs> maybe one day maybe one day um but yeah it's the one thing I was really wondering, I was wondering several things, but one thing that was really at the forefront of my mind was just like the balancing of the elements with Hannah. Because when I watched the movie, I'm like, okay, this is a coming of age story. You mm-hmm. have spy story elements very strongly. You've also got this fairy tale element. And I was very curious, like how these kind of different strands all work together. And I think he did a fantastic job in communicating to us and to all of you listening how Hannah became this very interesting, unique spy story. I found in the past that, you know, they, they say write what you know. Now, I don't think Seth was, uh, a, you know, had his DNA manipulated and became a super spy, but he understood a lot of the sort of the situations that Hannah was going through in the film. And I think infused the story with a lot of situations that he dealt with, which he spoke about. And, you know, that write what you know thing seems to shine through here. I, I think what is key to putting this story together is that he knew exactly the story he wanted to tell. And he was a, he was able to bring it to the finish line. And I, I think, you know, having that grounding and having that experience of traveling Europe, which is not something I've done, but you've traveled Europe, you've traveled Australia, you kind of have an idea of what that backpacking sensation is like, and maybe a little bit of idea of what that fear is like. Um, I feel like I was too dim to be scared <laughs> when I backpacked. I was too oblivious. I was just wide-eyed being like, where are we going? What are we doing now? Okay, I guess. <laughs> 
that a kangaroo? I'll go say hi. Cool. Uh, I should note, I did not travel on my own like he did, which I think I would have been really scared. I would have gone through that real fearful experience that you know he Mm -hmm. said was kind of aligned with what hannah went through i went with a friend who was much better with directions than i was and so it was like thank god thank god (laughs) yeah well without that friend you wouldn't be here you would have been killed by that kangaroo that's right yeah very true they they pulled you away and the rest was history Mm -hmm. i something i i really enjoyed about the story of making this film is just how much kind of I don't want to say fell into place, but sometimes things are cosmic. You know, things are just sort of meant to be. And this, I feel like this story was meant to be told. He he willed it into existence. You know, that had that option in college, which story to write. Was told to write the teen comedy, but he felt like, no, I have to write this. And wrote it and, and got a, a, a manager and got it in front of, you know, several people and turned down other offers to do, to work with Focus here in the UK. I think I think the BBC were involved as well, uh, and you know just that sheer persistence of coming back because, like you mentioned, like people like JD Zyke, I could see people getting very bitter with the whole idea of it being passed on to another writer, but he was happy to come back and keep going at it. And also this determination to sell it to people who would make the interesting movie. Yeah, and I do not fault any writer out there who gets their script optioned by a company that just wants to turn it into something kind of middle of the road action film or something blockbuster make money yada 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 sure yeah. it is very difficult as a writer in hollywood to sell scripts and to make money so i don't fault any writer that goes that route but i give um seth a lot of points for sticking to his guns um appropriate uh, term there uh nice. and making sure that like this interesting concept he had was handled by people ultimately who would carry it, you know, into something that would mirror a little bit of what he was seeing. You know, like mm-hmm. Joe Wright may have made a movie that brought elements that he didn't necessarily think would be as overt, like the fairy tale imagery he talked about. But by waiting and picking focus, it wound up with a filmmaker who was going to make a unique and interesting movie. Yeah, and um one thing I was sort of saddened to hear, but wholly unsurprised was some of like the notes he was getting from executives and a lot of what was being said when the script went through rewrites with david farr was a lot of stuff like hey the protagonist should be a man hey what if we got rid of some of this like metaphor Mm -hmm. and sort of made it a bit more action shootery which you know if you go down that well your film becomes the gray man (laughs) <laughs> well, those are the least surprising notes I think I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, the idea of a female-fronted spy film in 2011 and earlier, because, you know, the script was obviously um, picked up, you know, prior to that. Mm. Uh, none of these notes surprised me whatsoever. No, it, it does make you wonder who is leading in Hollywood right now, because I, I, you look at some of these franchises falling apart. We recently saw Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1 just tumbleweeds at the box office uh, and it's not even that bad of a film no it's a great one yeah I, I i just wonder like what's occurring up top you know who is making these decisions because i think it's a little bit of a committee group think thing going on at the moment i think we need more projects being led by people who have a vision and i think this is where seth comes back into my point because he had a unique vision for a unique film and that's what we got mm-hmm. no i always think like you know 
writers tend to have very unique ideas and it's will they be stamped down on mm. before it reaches the screen because there's no shortage of movies that you'll go and see and you'll sit there and go like boy this is a really generic action movie and you'll see the writing credits and there's like five writers on it and you're like wait a second what happened here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or you like you see a, a film or a tv show with like 15 exec producers mm-hmm. you just think mm-hmm. oh boy Oh mm-hmm. boy, what's going to happen? Uh, one thing I also wanted to point out, uh, which I didn't know, and it's not in any sort of the IMDb, Wikipedia page, anything like that, any of the trivia for the film, is how much Tom Hollander's character was sort of written on set and how much was there's some ad-libbing going on there, apparently. We didn't get into the nitty-gritty of like which line was which because it's probably too much information, but it's nice to know that that was a collaborative process. And I can't shake the idea of Tom Hollander scaring people on set with his uh, steel pipe. Tom Hollander is incredible in this movie. Like, when I was making my notes for this interview, I had Tom Hollander, like, underline double. And I was just like, I can't wait to talk about this character because I was doing my rewatch of the movie last night. And it's like, Tom Hollander is not an actor who I am... Like, I've seen him in things, but he doesn't normally, like, leap to the forefront of the movie for me. I don't tend to walk away being like, oh, my God, that Tom Hollander performance. I remember him probably best for the Pirates sequels, where he was the, the main villain, especially in the third one. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he's one of those, like, reliable actors you'll see pop up all the time. But his performance in this is so go-for-broke, so bananas, and the character is so memorable that, like... The movie, it's just like a bolt of electricity every time he shows up on screen. And so I was so excited to hear about this kind of collaborative process of achieving this very unique character. Yeah, I think it just adds another uh, element, another flavor to the character that we already love, knowing that it was spur of the moment, but you know, creatively driven, and it was a lot of creative juices flowing on set. And I think that lends itself to the finished product. You can tell it's a very creative film. It isn't a sort of a you know paint by numbers spy action thriller. I mentioned Grey Man, Chuck anything you'd like into that mold, the you know, Heart of Stone, anything that sort of if we're talking recent films. This is a very unique, vibrant vital film i think to watch that's why it made the knock list and i think i i hope that by doing this interview and talking about it online and bring it to the forefront people will go and check this film out because you know and not to be too inside baseball as it were and going behind the scenes of you know how the spy hard sausage is made not an image you want in your head folks i apologize <laughs> but you know hannah is not getting the sort of download numbers the episode itself like a bond or a mission impossible episode would be getting but i feel like this is as vital a spy film to watch as any of the films i've just mentioned if you love spy films and you've never watched hannah i mean that's what the knock list is for but you're missing out yeah and i was really excited to add this one to the knock list back in the day because it was our first i think kind of unconventional Mm. addition to the list we'd added north by northwest and goldeneye and I think the Ipcris file might have been on at this yeah. point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but adding Hannah was kind of like a, we are opening up what the knocklist can be. It can introduce movies that maybe aren't on the like top 10 list you're going to find you know, just on Google, where you're just going to see all the obvious titles. We wanted things on this list that represent like the variety of what spy films can be. And I think Hannah is one of the more modern examples where I sit forward and go like, please, 
like more unconventional approaches like this. I don't need, you know, a billion kind of Netflix spy thrillers that all feel the same. No, I mean, looking at the list right now, it was the third film to enter the knock list. Oh, wow. Uh, Ipcris File came afterwards. But, you know, it, it did open the door. And I think thanks to Hannah, we have films like Spy in Black. We have films like The Parallax View, Five Fingers, uh, M. Butterfly, to name a few on the knock list that, as Cam said, you wouldn't be seeing on, you know, Blender's Top 10 Spy Films or, you know, Vulture, 15 Spy Films You Should Watch Before You Die list. We're, we're trying to craft a bit more of a deep cut list here. Or even Ghost in the Shell, the original animated film as well. Great. Perfect example as well. Perfect example. But I'm so glad that we did this. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to speak to Seth and to sort of set the record straight on some of the details behind the scenes making of this film. Hopefully they'll be added to the Wikipedia page at some point if you listening at home want to do that. But uh, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed uh, this very late Christmas present from ourselves. Yeah. And uh, I, I think this is actually our last episode of 2023. That's right. And what a great way to go out because back in the day, we didn't, you know, we weren't able to do an interview on Hannah yeah. when we were kind of covering the movies, you know, week to week as we normally do. And so it was really fun to catch up with this one later because it's really stuck in our minds. Like some of the movies we talk about, even the ones that make the knock list, We'll be really excited about them. We'll do the episode. But it's not like we keep bringing up those movies in conversation mm -hmm. over like the next, you know, three years, I guess we've been doing this show or so. Um, whereas how many times have I, when I'm explaining the knock list to a guest, referenced Hannah as a movie that made the list? It's happened a lot. It always kind of sticks in my mind. It's It's one of the ones. Yeah, it's one of the ones you go to. Uh, and like I was re-watching the film yesterday as well in preparation for this. And I remember I was watching the sort of prison escape at the start. Mm. And I was like listening to uh, the soundtrack was blaring and Hannah's killing people. It's great. And then like the lights are flickering and you hear electricity. And I said to myself, oh, that's very like David Lynch. And I went back and listened to our episode and I said the same thing. It's like, it's cool that I'm get I've forgotten I said it, but got the same thing out of it. And I, I'm... I'm taking things from this film, but I, I don't think I could say the same about Spy Kids Armageddon. Sure, sure. That's a very fair point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, again, I want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode. I want to thank you for tuning into this whole previous year, this year of 2023 worth of Spy Hards podcast. It's been a great year with some uh, high highs. Yes, and who knows what 2024 will bring. But Scott, I guess next week, we are going to wrap up the year that was 2023. Mm. We're going to look at what made the knock list this past year. We're going to look also at our favorite moments, um, all that sort of thing. Surprises, disappointments. Basically, it'll be along the lines of what we've done previous uh, year-end wrap-ups, but I'm sure there'll be a few surprises as well. Yeah, I always look forward to this episode, Cam. It's nice to sort of go off script a little bit and do something slightly out of the usual spy hards mold plus you know along with sort of analyzing the year that was we'll have some highlights and we'll have some messages from listeners and their favorite moments too so it's a lovely way to sort of wrap up the year of 2023 and move into 2024 so your mission should you choose to accept it is to join us next week as we say goodbye to the year of 2023 spy hearts style and if you like what you heard on this interview please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening apple Podcasts, spotify Podchaser, or anything like that 
let us know. Leave us a five-star review. We'd love to see them. And don't forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next year, folks, you'll find me playing with Tom Hollander's Steel Rod. (laughs) 